We are doing Surat Al-Kawthar and Far Away. Alrighty, so Surat Al-Kawthar is chapter 108 um, in the Quran and the writer begins um, by speaking about how <clears throat> the Prophet, peace be upon him, had a young son who passed away. And um, when the son passed away, some of the Quraysh leaders would actually mock the Prophet, peace be upon him, um, because they would tell him that he no longer has a son to, to carry his family name. Um, and the, the term that they would um, describe him as is, is Abtad. And then the surah was eventually re uh, revealed to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Um, verse one of the surah tells us, O Prophet, we surely have given you Al-Kawthar, um, which is in reference to a river that's in Jannah. Um, and Al-Kawthar has a literal meaning of abundant goodness. And um, the goodness that is... Um, referring that Al-Kawthar is referring to is the goodness that's in this world and the next. Um, and the Prophet, peace be upon him, was actually in like a slumber um, in the mosque. Um, so he was um, in like a, like a doziness state and he lifted his head smiling. Um, and when he was speaking to his companions, he mentioned that the surah was revealed to him. Um, and uh, tradition actually writes that there's going to be a fountain on the day of judgment that will have two channels that actually lead from the sky. Um, and the, the water that will be in the, in the fountain will be the water of the Kauthar <clears throat> river that's in, in paradise. And then um, there is like a cleanness and a sweetness of the Kauthar river that is actually something that the writer described can't be compared with anything in this world. Um, and that its banks are actually going to be filled with pearls. Um, so the Suda comes as a, uh, as a comfort to the Prophet, peace be upon him. It reminds him of what he's promised. Um, and verse two of the Suda says, um, oh, offer, so offer prayer to your Lord and sacrifice. Um, so the word in Had actually comes from Nahid, which means to which literally means to sacrifice. Um, and then the writer mentioned how um, the Arab of the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, would commonly slaughter camels. Um, and that the prayer um, is the highest form of worship, physical worship in this world, and sacrifice is the highest form of like monetary worship. Um, and a form of sacrifice in the name of Allah um, is a fight against idolatry, according to the writer. And um, Verse three of the Surah says, surely it is your enemy who, whose traces are cut off. Um, and the, um, sh the word Shani is derived from Sha'an, meaning one who hates your enemy. And this is in reference to the disbelievers who actually would taunt the Prophet, peace be upon him. Um, and so God is telling the Prophet that they're actually the Abtad who will have their lineage cut off. Um, and then these disbelievers are believed to be As ibn Wa'il and then Kab ibn Ashraf and Aqba, I believe. And um, I just thought it was interesting towards the end how, you know, the surah was sent down to comfort the Prophet um, because the Quraysh told him that his lineage would be cut off. Yeah, Muhammad today is the most common name in the world. Mm. Um, and then the writer actually mentions how 
his name is also recited with Allah's name in prayer when we pray five times a day. Um, and then the writer goes on to mention that in the hereafter, um, the Prophet, peace be upon him, will be given um, the praise station, Al-Maqam Al-Mahmud, where he'll make like grand intercessions on behalf of the entire prodigy of Adam, peace be upon him. So um, that goes to show like the like intention of what the Quraysh had and then the outcome of what actually happened. Um, and then as we continue discussing, there are a few questions I, I also wanted to bring up. <clears throat> uh, what are the questions? Um, so in reference to um, the state like the prophet was in when he um, received the surah, I know we've briefly mentioned before um, that he was kind of in a like a not in a like fully conscious state. Um, was that the case in in the revelation of all the surahs? Mm-hmm. No. So one of the ways the surahs get categorized would be, as we know, Maki and Madani. Right, so that's before Hijrah, after Hijrah. Another way that surahs are categorized would be, was the Prophet awake when he received them, or was he asleep when he received them? So like when he receives he was awake, right? And that is true, it seems to be more often than not that he's receiving the revelations while he is awake and conscious. But this is an example of him receiving revelation where he seems to be not awake. But he says, you know, my body's asleep, but my heart is always awake. So there's a certain type of consciousness he always has, different than, than uh, the rest of us. And then there's other categorizations. Is he at home or is he outside of the house? Is it, does he receive it in the nighttime? Does he receive it in the daytime? Is he traveling or is he in, in his hometown? And so all those are other ways that the ayahs get categorized, mainly for the purpose of, of seeing, if we, and seeing if we can find some insights um, to, you know, like in the way Maki surahs seem to be distinct from Madani surahs, both in terms of style as well as content. Right. So ayahs that he receives while he's asleep seem to be more non-command oriented. Right. And so, um, like here, he's been he's been giving good news about the future, but those are even qualitative distinctions. What else? Um, my second question was in reference to um, the fountain that will be um, provided to to like Muslims on the day of judgment that actually have water from Kawthar. Um, the writer also mentions that some people who like left Islam or were like quote unquote hypocrites will be actually turned away from the fountain. I was wondering, I mean, this might be a God knows best answer, but how about people who didn't necessarily leave Islam or were never, you know, introduced to the faith? Yeah, like especially people who were... Um who are alive prior to the prophet, peace be upon him. Mm-hmm. And, and so one principle in the Quran is that Allah will not or cannot, but will not punish you if you never receive the message, if you never receive the messenger. In one way, we want 
we would like, uh, because of how serious hell is, in one way, we would like everyone to be given paradise, even if the lowest level of paradise was like a 708 area code. You know. Or them break, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If that was like the lowest level of paradise, you know, as opposed to the highest level of hell. No, no, so, <laughs> no, yeah, I shouldn't make jokes. But the, the point is that um, uh, it could be that people who have never received the message will be given paradise or will not be entered hell. Um, the counter argument that's given to this is that everyone is born on Fitra. So intuitively, everybody does know the truth. And it doesn't mean that they always know the truth. Is the Sahaba are an example of that? And that, you know, some, some appreciated the Quran right away. You know, some, you know, didn't have the strength to make the decision. But the point is that if the counter argument is that if everyone's born on fitra, then in the course of your life, you will innately know at some point the truth of the creator, right? And so those are sort of to be two different uh, schools of thinking. And a way to reconcile the two is to say once both believe in the fitra, one says the fitra still persists in some capacity over the course of your life. The other school would say, no, it can get so buried that it's almost like it's gone. It can be recovered, repurified, but, you know, it is possible that someone goes through life and has gotten so corrupted in terms of how they were raised that they can't tell the truth from falsehood. Yeah. And so the bottom line is Alatel is going to treat everybody fairly. You're not going to go to hell if you do not deserve to go to hell. Right. You may go to heaven. If you don't, even if you don't deserve to go to heaven, yeah. so Allah may give you out of His mercy. Okay. In the same way, do I deserve even to have existence? No. What I do to deserve existence? No. Do I deserve even to have life? No. <clears throat> Allah's will to give it to me. So already we're starting from a perspective that everything I have is not deserved anyway. Yeah. So this, um, like everyone is born like with this fitra according to both schools would you say that like um like a common example like if somebody goes through like a um like a trauma or a near-to-death experience or like a, a close loved one passing away and then they become really like religious or you know they um you know they like turn back to their faith would that be them kind of turning back to their fitra yeah potentially you know, it's possible for someone to be, uh, you know, conducting their dean in what looks like an upright way, but they're actually hypocrites, right? And so they're actually polluting their 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 um, their fitra, even though their actions are the actions of dean, because their intentions are not the intentions of dean. Mm -hmm. But if someone has upright intentions then the best way to return to your fitra is through obedience of Allah. And the best way of that is your, like your daily prayers and such. Right. Um, and then the, those that are like unaware, like that they're hypocrites, like they themselves don't even know that they're hypocrites. 
Yeah, a lot of times that is true, right? It says that over and over again. They don't even realize it. Yeah. And, and so they, uh, they don't know, they don't realize either what they're doing or the seriousness of what they're doing. Mm. Meaning they think the consequences like are not as serious. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you're accustomed to lying, you know, then lying's not going to seem like a big deal. Mm-hmm. If you're accustomed to doing X, Y, Z, big sin, or if it's common in your society, then it's not going to seem like a big deal, even though in terms of cosmic reality, it might be a horrendous deed. So we're sort of in an era, especially with social media, where everything gets flaunted. You know, every single type of of, of bad deed gets flaunted. I mean, we're, thankfully, we're not at the point that you know murder is getting flaunted as something to joke about or something i mean murder is joked about i mean murder jokes but it's not joked about in the sense of right yeah but you know most other sins are are done very very openly to the Mm -hmm. point that if you're growing up in the society it doesn't seem to be as serious as it is so i think arabs for them if you broke your word that was like one of the worst things you could do because you were, you know, your, your reputation, your reputation was based on the integrity of your word. Right. And so I think that's why, like, we also see like within different generations of like Muslims and, and people, I think generally speaking, there are certain, certain things that are seen as like a bigger deal in regards to their consequences. Like, um, mm-hmm like my parents used to heavily emphasize you never you never talk back to people who are older than you you know you always you never refer to someone by their first name um whereas i i don't necessarily think it's as emphasized nowadays so it's more Mm -hmm. common Mm -hmm. to yeah yeah even i mean if you compare like arab culture with desi culture Arab culture tends to have a lot more equilibrium across the generations. There's a, like the way Arabs are taught to show respect to their elders is different from the way Daisies are taught to show respect to their elders, right? And and so me growing up as a Daisy, it's still weird when an undergrad will call me by my first name, right? Mm. And it's always Arabs. Like if a Daisy did it, it would almost be more offensive. Like, who do you think you are, kid? You know. Uh, but for Arabs, because there's a lot more equilibrium in some aspects across generations, it's not out of the ordinary. Yeah. Um, as an Arab raised in a Desi society, <laughs> Desis do it better. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, but um, no, yeah, I agree it, as so a- like, You'd yeah. have to call all of your elder siblings, you know, Muhammad Pai and this Pai and that Pai, you know, and so. Yeah, I mean the same, yeah, I can I can see that. I yeah. I get really confused because I have like cousins on my paternal side that have kids that are older than me or around my age. So I get really confused. I don't want to call them by their first name because they have a kid that's older than me. Like I, uh-huh. I feel like that's disrespectful. But then they'll look at me and they'll be like, Don't ever call me Khalto. <laughs> Your daughter is like three years older than me. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so yeah, it gets kind of sticky. Yeah. I think yeah. uh, a lot of it is just the legacy of the type of imperialism. So, so Desis still have in their recent history, by recent history, I mean the last 200 years, 
the Mughals, you know, there's this big bunch of aristocrat, you know, Mughal emperors and stuff. So I think we all think we're a bunch of aristocrats and should be treated as royalty. You know, yeah. Arabs haven't had that formally throughout the land for 800 years. Yeah, well, I think this Arab says they see do it best. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) my um following question is regarding the um sacrifice that was mentioned i believe in the second verse um so like the writer mentions how sacrifice is like the highest form of like quote-unquote like monetary worship of this world um so like something that i was thinking of is like donating obviously like money giving to charity and stuff um what are like other like forms of sacrifice in our life in our like contemporary life we can do yeah sure I mean, you, the, the two categories are to, is to give with your wealth and to give with your soul. So soul can either mean you're giving your life. Um, and in our language, if it, you're not giving your life itself, then we say you're giving your time, which is your life. Correct. So that'd be another one of the big ones. And then just what everything else we categorize as some form of wealth or coming from wealth. Yeah. Um, yeah, that reminds me of the, the saying, time is money. Yeah. So here we're saying, time is life. Or life is time. You know, which way would it go? Life is time. Time is life. Time is life. That sounds better. Yeah, I think so. Time is, Yeah. All righty. And then my final question that I wanted to ask was in regards to the maqam of the prophet in paradise, peace be upon him. So in regards to this maqam, does everybody, because we, we've spoken about like the different levels of paradise. So does everybody have access to this maqam that will be like in, in paradise, like does it does like the level of paradise factor in and then my follow-up question was if let's say you're in orland park of paradise and like you know the prophet peace be upon him is going to be in the highest level of paradise yeah he can visit you yes Mm. Uh, can i visit him however it seems like some texts some uh, narrations seem to say yes some narrations seem to say no you know so it's like you can visit people below you. It's not as easy to visit people above you unless maybe you get like an invitation or something periodically. Yeah. I'm definitely inshallah trying to aim for higher than Orland Park, but God. I think I think I think that's a good thing to do. You know, don't settle for Orland Park. I'm just on the same page, you know. Yeah. So the in regards to the maqam, it will then be accessible to hopefully. Inshallah. I mean, we're definitely going to meet the Prophet because we're in different places, right? So, right as we're entering paradise, you know, he's going to be there at his haud, as his uh, fountain or pond, you know, greeting us. And that in itself, he says, it's like the distance between Mecca and Jerusalem. So, however far that is, I don't know, let's say 500 miles. Mm-hmm. That's how big the pond is. And so, we're all going to drink. From that before we enter actually into paradise. So it's kind of like you're crossing the bridge, mm. the Sidats. And as you're getting closer, you can see him 
and the pond at the other end. Oh, wow. You know? And, and otherwise, if you fall off the bridge, oh, the below, the below, then you know, you go to hell. Or if you get dragged off the bridge, apparently there's these claws that are also trying to pull people back. And so, but imagine as you're walking across, you're seeing him as you get closer and closer and closer. And except for Allah, that will be uh, potentially the most beautiful sight you've ever seen in your whole life. And then, so then you drink from this, and then it cures all of your thirst. And then you enter to go to your your specific place in paradise. Is that why Arab always say you're never thirsty in Jannah? Could be. Mm. I mean, if if Arab Gen Z people are saying never thirsty in Jannah, they probably mean it in a different way. You know, Arab elders are saying it; they probably mean it a different way. But yeah. But yeah, right. officially you're not you're never thirsty. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then my uh, follow-up question to that. Um, is there a difference in regards to um, the river like Tasneem in Jannah versus Kawthar? Do they have different I, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Do we do we know like just like basic like differences between them or uh, we probably do, but I don't recall them. Yeah. Okay. And then um, my other, um, my like final question, um, in reference to just like you bringing up like the distance between like m- like Mecca and Jerusalem or Medina and Jerusalem, um, will we will there be like other um, like will there be like either like temples or like like buildings? I want to say like quote unquote buildings of Jannah that resemble anything of this life. Like, will there be anything that resembles mm. like Masjid al-Aqsa or the Dome of the Rock or? Cool. Uh, I don't know um, because paradise has everything. I'm, uh, I'm sure we would have like the paradise version of Aqsa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a cool thing even to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Like no, no checkpoints. Oh yes, exactly. Gosh. <laughs> talk about you know you don't need american privilege anymore yes exactly and perhaps the masjid comes to you oh snap awesome all righty i think on my end those are all my questions okay Okay, very good and so the next time we will be doing surah 107 which is is that surah al-ma'un i believe so yes All right, very good. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Right, may Allah tell you and I'll see you in about a week, inshallah. Amen.